0: Revelation chapter four is where we're going to be in our study of God's Word today. And last week we did an introduction. We are working our way kind of verse by verse through the book of the Revelation. We did Revelation chapters one, two, and three. We took a break, did a series on the on the solas and Christmas and journey to the cross. And we've come back to Revelation, picked up in Revelation chapter four, and we did an introduction last week to these two chapters. And so what I want to do today is I want to I want to pick up in Revelation 4, and I want to make some <laughs> observations today uh, about the text. Um, let's read the passage together so that we will have it uh, in mind. And uh, we read the entire chapter last week today. I'm just going to read uh, the first uh, few. Well, it's only eleven verses. Let's let's read them so that you can see it. I want to kind of give you sort of some in- insight into uh, the verses, and you'll think you'll see how how this verse uh, unfolds. This is a particular practice that I do uh, each week in the study of my uh, messages, kind of as a beginning way to do observation of the text and draw things out. And so I want you to see in this investigative study, if you will, the location of the throne in heaven and some things that we see there, how we would approach this in our particular uh, study. Let's read the text, and I would like to invite you to stand with me. You've been seated for a long time, but you can stand with me for the reading of our text. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, and the Bible says that after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. John writes, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and a sardius in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance around the throne were 24 thrones and upon the thrones i saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of god and before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had the face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their (coughs) crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Father, may you bless the study of your word today and lodge the truths in our lives that they may work themselves out in our mouths, in our hands, and in our feet. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. We live in a day where people are making lots and lots of money by talking about going to heaven and having this experience and coming back to earth and writing books and making movies and TV shows and things along those lines. What's interesting to me, and I think really what's sad on a lot of fronts, is that there are, a sure, uh, surely there are a lot of people who are inquisitive about heaven and what it will be like, lost people, if you will, that are wondering whether heaven is real or is it this place, is paradise, and, and what it's like, that would perhaps buy this book <clears throat> Go see this movie to to maybe search for answers because, quite frankly, they don't really know how to study the Bible. The saddest part is, is that the vast majority of the money that's made through these stories and these instances that have gone on for decades now are being financially supported and enabled because Christians who have God's Word, who can study God's Word for themselves, would rather (coughs) buy one of those books or see one of those movies rather than study and see what God's Word has to say. I don't know if you remember the one of the boy who came back from heaven by Kevin and Alex Malarkey and I think Malarkey is a double entendre but I'll leave that up to you, that is their, their last name and the young boy Alex had this um, a terrible tragedy and, and end up going to heaven uh, supposedly and, and came back and as he was talking to his father who was writing down all the details they proceeded to write a book Tindall House Publishers, which is uh, can be sort of a sketchy publisher anyway, published uh, the book, but later on in 2015, the book was admitted to be a fraud. The father had made up the stories and submitted it. Um, long story short, thankfully Tyndall House removed that particular book, but only after it sold hundreds of thousands millions of copies or whatever there i thought about them this week because christianity today right now uh, has brought that story back because young alex now who is an adult um, is filing a lawsuit against tyndall The reason he's filed a lawsuit against Tyndall is because his name is associated with this book that he says he had nothing to do with. His father's the one who fabricated the story and included him as the co-author. And by the way, Tyndall did not pay him any money whatsoever for the book, gave it all to his dad, and apparently he thinks that he should get some more money. But in the end, his hope is to disassociate his name in any way, shape, or form with this story. Christians are so gullible because no matter how many of these stories rise and how many of these stories fall, the next one will come and Christians will be the first ones, oftentimes untaught Christians will be the first ones that will run out and purchase such a book and read it. Here in Revelation chapter 4, we don't have to question whether this is true. We don't have to question whether or not this is uh, exactly the events as they occurred. We we don't have to read this and 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 wonder would will there be a rebuttal will there be a a, a a removing of this story? We don't have to wonder about that because we believe the Bible is the inerrant, the infallible, inspired Word of God, and that John is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and that this vision that he experiences here, this being caught up and up into the heavens. Is recorded in the words of God. It is preserved forever in the word of God. It is given to us, preserved by the Holy Spirit of God, in such a way that you can believe the truthfulness of God's word in its entirety. It's interesting, this is a, uh, one more side note before we look at the text. I've looked at a lot of pastors' sermons through the book of Revelation and uh, it's interesting how many people, how many pastors have only preached Revelation 2 and 3, the letters to the churches that don't preach in Revelation 1 and you would be amazed the number of people that skip to Revelation chapter 5 rather than preach Revelation chapter 4. Part of the reason, I'm sure, is because there's not much to do in this particular passage, but there's a tremendous amount to see. What we're going to look at today will not be a list of applications, a list of to-dos. You're not going to leave here having read the Word of God and are able to go and directly apply the commands found in this scripture because all the commands found in this scripture are only to John, which has come up here. And no matter how much you would like that to be true, uh, that's not going to happen. But there is treasure to be mined if we will but look and behold the things that we see in this chapter. I shared with you last week, this is not all of heaven. This is one limited place in heaven inside. One location, and that is the throne room of God. You couldn't really figure out what all heaven's going to be like by looking at this place. Because remember, the Bible says later on that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. For the former heavens and the former earth had passed away. But what we see here today is we see the two truths I share with you at the beginning of this service. Number one, that God is a sovereign God to be feared. And he is a holy God to be worshipped. And I believe that those two truths are what we need to look for and find in this passage today. The central idea behind Revelation chapter 4 is the throne of God. Now you say, well, why do you say it's the throne of God? Because in 11 verses, the word throne is mentioned 13 times. Twice it talks about the elders' throne, the twenty-four elders, and we'll get to those next week. Who the identification of those elders? But, 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 thirteen times in eleven verses, the word throne is here. In this particular passage, what we see is we see some things that we need to look at when it comes to the throne. For example, we see in verse number 2 that, there's, that there is the, the presence of this throne. This throne is standing. We see in verse 2 also there's one sitting on the throne. Verse 3 says we need to be concerned with what is around the throne. We see that in verse 4 as well. Uh, verse 4, we also see the 24 thrones who need to be concerned about who's on the throne. Verse 5, notice it says out from the throne. Before the throne, before the throne, around the throne. Revelation chapter 4 is about the throne of God and the one who's sitting on the throne, what's around the throne, before the throne. And Revelation chapter 5 and following, 6 through 19, are about God's wrath and judgment that proceeds from the throne. So we study Revelation chapter 4, it's important that we um, focus on this idea of the throne. Last week we mentioned verse 1, after these things, and we said that after these things occurs twice, at the beginning of verse 1 and at the end of verse 1 as well. However, they're not used in the same way. We noticed last week in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, that John is commanded to write the things which you have seen, which would be the vision of Jesus in chapter 1, the things which are, which would be the written letters of the of, of Christ to the churches, and the things which will take place after these things. So Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 begins with, after these things and after these things are John saying, after I saw the vision of Christ in chapter 1, after I saw and, and, and witnessed the writing and distributing of the letters in chapter 2 and 3, after these things, this is what I observed next. So in Revelation chapter 4, 1 in the beginning, John is the one who has given us the chronology of the things that's happened. I saw God, I saw Jesus in chapter 1, I saw Jesus in chapter 2 and chapter 3, write the letters, distribute to the churches, and I saw this. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 at the beginning is John's understanding of after these things, this is what I observed next. But it's important to note that at the end here of chapter 1, you'll notice the quotation marks where Jesus says, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Now, why am I pointing at? What's the big deal in this? Chapter 4, verse 1, John's writing, and this is what happened next. But it's important for you and I to understand that the end is whoever this one is, which has the sound of a trumpet. This is God. This is Jesus. And he is the one who is establishing the chronology in this passage. No wonder it says, Behold, not once. The twice. Look, pay attention. See this, John writes. He says, I look, and behold, a door standing open where? In heaven. In heaven. In heaven. <coughs> a door standing open in heaven. John sees it. His attention is drawn to that. In this verse, he is still on the Isle of Patmos. Christ is there, and he says, and behold, I look, a door standing open in heaven, perhaps something like what Stephen saw as he was being stoned and looked up and saw heaven open. He sees heaven open, and the first voice which I heard, because he heard many voices, which I heard the sound of a trumpet speaking with me. Who is the one doing the speaking? This goes back to Revelation chapter one. John uses the same visual, the the same description for the words of Christ in Revelation chapter one as being uh, one like a son of man. We know that that is Jesus who is speaking with me, said, come up here. Come up. Where? Where is Jesus in this passage? He is in heaven. The Bible affirms that truth in multiple places. Acts chapter 1 verse 10, Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, other places as well, that that heaven is the abode of God. Heaven is the abode of Jesus. John chapter 14 tells us not only is heaven the abode of God, but it is the place of preparation. It is the place where... Jesus said, I will go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John 14. This is in heaven, and John is in, invited to come into heaven, and he says, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place. So, this is a vision. It's a vision. What John sees as part of his vision is he sees one sitting on the throne who is undeniably Jesus. And we're going to talk about that or undeniably God. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. One of the questions that comes up is John chapter 1, verse 18 says that no one has seen God. So did John see someone sitting on a throne? And if so, was it God if no one has seen God? But John is writing that he has seen God on the throne. Is it God or is it not? R- remember that that John is seeing a vision it is outside of time and outside of space he is caught up he is there in a vision if you were to say where is john's physical body when this was happening john's physical body would have still been here upon the earth was it in a sleep state what was he doing was he just kind of checked out We don't know. The Bible doesn't give us any things, but clearly he says that this is a vision. And in this vision, he sees God sitting on his throne. And the consistency of this vision matches the consistency of the other visions of God that you can see spread throughout the Old Testament. Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. And John says, Immediately I was in the Spirit. Notice Spirit is capitalized. And behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. One interesting point, I think, to note before we go further, is I want you to see the Trinity The Trinity here in these verses, because all three persons of the Godhead are found right here in this particular passage of Scripture. From Revelation chapter one, we see that the the voice of, of the trumpet is the voice of Christ. Jesus is there. God is the one sitting on his throne, and I'll show you that in just a, a few moments. But he's the one sitting on the throne, and notice the Spirit is there as well. Immediately, I was in the Spirit. Spirit is capitalized. It means he was in the Holy Spirit. He wasn't in the spirits. That's something different. <laughs> And in the spirit itself, meaning like in the right frame of mind, the right reverence, boy, the spirit was strong in that words environment today. That's, that's not the same. He was in the Holy Spirit of God. In the Spirit. So the Trinity is present in this place where John is allowed to see. I think it's also important to see as we are holding up this verse and making observations about the text, if you will, that where it says, when Jesus says here, speaking with me, he says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. A lot of people say that is the rapture of the church. This is the the calling up of the church and, and this is when it happened. You can't get that from this text. This is not a come up here for glorification. This is is God calling John to come up for the purpose of revelation. Revelation. Now we're going to see next week that we have to identify the 24 elders who are upon the thrones, and and we will see those next week, and we're going to have to identify who those elders are, and that will help with our understanding and interpretation of where is the church. We've already said the church is not mentioned in Revelation chapter 4. It's not mentioned again until chapter 19. But, but this command come up here is not the place to, to see uh, evidence or proofs of the premillennial rapture of the church. There are other places uh, that I think you could glean those truths from and see those even from the presence of the church Revelation chapter 3 verse 10 where Jesus says because you have endured I will keep you from the wrath which is to come but, but this is not a rapture passage in verse 1 so the purpose of this of his calling up is the purpose of revelation not glorification Notice the word throne. The throne is central theme. Here, 13 times in 11 verses in chapter 4, 37 times throughout the book of Revelation is this idea of this throne. Now, when you think about a throne, a throne would be a place of sovereignty. It would be a place of reign. It would be a place of rule. It would be a place where one who is majestic would sit upon the throne. As we see this throne, I think it's interesting that one of the first things that it says about the throne here in verse 2 is we have the throne was standing. See that word standing? A door was standing open in heaven and a throne was standing in heaven. Just like in on the Earth uh, today, throughout particularly in third world countries, there would be uh, thrones or places within the government where they would um, uh, the kings of the land would reign and rule from and all one would have to do in order to capture that particular space or location and become the ruler of that nation is to conquer the throne to conquer the throne. If one could conquer the throne, then from there, they give the decrees and all the land follows what happens and what takes place on the throne. This is one of the reasons why in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah had died after being king for 52 years, and all of the city was in shambles and and, in ruins, and all of this time of uncertainty, and this stable political leader has now uh, uh, died. He's left the throne. God killed him, by the way. Isaiah goes running into the throne room of God in chapter 6 to see who is in charge and who is in control and he sees not the earthly throne but the heavenly throne and says i saw the lord high and lifted up seated upon his throne indicating that god is still in sovereign control of everything Beloved, it is important that you and I understand that when we're talking about this throne, this throne is established, this throne is unchanging, this throne is immovable, and it is a throne in heaven. Psalm 47 we read today said that God is on his throne. Isaiah 66, one says that heaven is my throne. Throne, God is on his throne. And what we see here on this throne is we see one sitting on the throne. No, John doesn't say who this one sitting on the throne is, but we can deduct by looking at the, the characteristics of this one sitting on the throne. And we can see that this one sitting on the throne is is God the same one who was seated on the throne in Isaiah chapter six? The same one that Micaiah saw sitting on the throne in 1 Kings twenty-two verse nineteen. The same Lord on the throne in Psalm forty-seven eight, and the same Lord on the throne that Ezekiel saw in his vision in Ezekiel chapter one. All of these visions of heaven, Old Testament, New Testament, though they were written a millennium apart are all consistent with the one who is sitting on the throne. It's a picture of his sovereignty. It's a picture of his majesty. It's a picture of his glory. It's a picture of his rulership. And listen to me, church, that is why when you see this throne and you see one sitting there, God is sovereign. Around this throne, heaven, Revelation is the most colorful book of the Bible. Around this throne, notice he who was sitting, and he who was sitting was like a jasper stone. What is a jasper stone? Um, the only jasper I know, or you know, my mother-in-law named her dog Jasper, but we don't have <laughs> jasper stones anymore. It makes a great name for a pet. Um, but a jasper stone, to kind of give you an idea of what a jasper stone is, if you look over in Revelation chapter 21, verse 11... Revelation 21.11, speaking of the new Jerusalem, the holy city, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone. Now look at this. Revelation 21.11 as a stone of crystal clear jasper. So jasper would be like a diamond. It would be crystal clear. You could see through it, but it would radiate all of the colors of the rainbow. It would be clear. It would be like a diamond. It would reflect and sparkle. And one sitting here was like the jasper imagine the brilliance of that place no wonder the bible says in first timothy that god dwells in unapproachable light can you imagine the vision here of seeing one seated on a throne and the brilliance of this crystal clear stone all around not only that but we also have the sardius a sardius and appears now a sardius would not be a clear stone it would be it would be a ruby red stone it would be a ruby red Uh, it would reflect the nature of God's wrath uh, and fury and you can uh, imagine both of those one being the clear brilliance of diamond reflecting any light that comes uh, uh, that is supposed to and then the deep rich ruby redness of the Sardis stone Uh, Just an interesting side note, if you go back into the Old Testament and you look at the breastplates for the priest in those days, they would have two stones. The first stone would be the Jasper stone and the last would be the Sardis. Any indication of God is the Alpha and Omega, the first and last, beginning and the end picture, I, I, I don't know. John doesn't make that question. I just thought it was an interesting observation. And then something else that you've never seen by way of colors is a rainbow, and this rainbow would be fully circled around the throne, but notice what it says like an emerald there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance now i don't have a clue what that means when you think of rainbow you think of all the colors of the spectrum being part of that rainbow and here it's emerald it would be a green color did the green stand out more than others I, I don't know, but I promise you, it is it is w- wonderful to behold and to look and imagine all the emotions that John would have seeing the brilliance of the the jasper, sensing the danger, the wrath, the fear of the ruby, and seeing the promise of the covenant of God by the symbol of the rainbow, where the green color is the highlighted one what an interesting sight to behold I don't know what John felt there, but if we look at the others and we look at John's point, it doesn't say here that he fell down as if dead, but he did in Revelation chapter 1. And the others did as well. Isaiah did in chapter 6 when he sees the the majesty and the brilliance and the beauty and the glory of God seated on his throne. There would be a sense for the believer that God is on the throne and God is sovereign and God is control. There's a sense of hope and joy and comfort. Yet to see the, the rage of the wrath of the ruby red, there would be a sense of fear and awe as any of us would walking into such a place and seeing an important person behind a desk. Imagine seeing God on his throne and combine that with the idea of this covenant reminder, remnant, remnant of this rainbow around the throne. What an um, unbelievably amazing sight. I feel like... But, and, and I know... i not behind the sacred desk because I say, I feel like... This one not what thus says the Lord. You get the idea. But I can only imagine... The emotions of all that John saw seeing the Lord, the sovereign God. Listen, coming from this place, we're going to see in chapter 5 and 6 through 19, coming from this place are the unfolding judgments of the wrath of God to come out upon the earth this would be a place for the believer of extreme comfort and joy. I don't know about you, but even the other night as I watched the missiles being launched and all of those things, I couldn't help but think how different I feel being on the side of American or allies launching those missiles as opposed to being the Syrians on the end of receiving those Beloved believers who see God on his throne, yes, it's amazing and yes, it is awesome that he is a sovereign God in absolute control of everything, even the pouring out yeah, of his wrath and all that it is accomplished. But, beloved, you and I who are on the believing side, who are on God's side, who are part of the family of God, have nothing to be afraid of, but certainly one to fear. That's why I get so frustrated when we make and use the language of God so familiar. Right? We just take his name in vain, we just enter it into whatever conversation flippantly. We reduce it to initials and cliches. And without even thinking about the sovereign God who sits on his throne, who is in absolute sovereign control of everything, who is there seated on his throne between the brilliance of his glory and the ruby red stones surrounded by the lightnings and flashes of thunder and all of these things what a fearful place I hope and pray that you will come to the place that you no longer let the name of God escape your lips in a flippant flippant, familiar way he is holy. One other thing that, that you have to see is we've talked about this throne, we've talked about the one seated on the throne, we've talked about the things that are around the throne and all of that, that environment. You and I would have an, an idea if we were to go in and, and see such a throne, we would think that that throne sits in a palace. We would think that that throne would sit in the place of uh, political um, housing in some sort. Ooh. We get that because that's what you see all around. When you see this sovereignty, this throne, and all of these things, we we see that in these political palaces and these political places and and all of those things. Beloved, that is not the location of God's throne, even in heaven. You know where it is? Look with me. It doesn't tell us here, but... But but I want you to this. Look with me in in chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7, verse 15. For this reason, the Bible says, they are before the throne of God. Okay? So here they are. This is talking about the before the throne of God. They are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night. Where? Where is the throne of God? In his temple. In his temple. Notice that it's in his temple. Go over to Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And notice the similarities of the vision in Revelation chapter 4. And there were flashes of lightning, and sounds, and peals of thunder, and an earthquake, and a great hell storm. The throne of God is in the temple of God. Go to Revelation 14, verse 15. Talking about the reapers, another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who said, On the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come because the harvest in the earth is right. And he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle. So where did this judgment came from? The angels bearing this wrath came out of the temple and out of the throne of God. And we see this in chapter 15, verse 6. The seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple clothed in linen clean and bright and girded around their chest with golden sashes. The reason I think it's important for us back in Revelation 4 to see the location of this temple, and because as we look at what's around and what's on, what's on and what's coming from the throne, and all of those things, beloved, the appropriate response, the appropriate response is one of worship. That's what you do in the temple. You worship God. You worship Him in His majesty and His glory and His sovereignty of who He is. Worship is a response of seeing Almighty God. When you see God, our response ought to be one of worship. That's exactly what worship is. It is a response of seeing God. No wonder in verse 8, the four living creatures... They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And the 24 elders, we will see next week who they are. Listen, they're going to cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you. That's worship. It's ascribing worship to God. Worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Beloved, that is true worship. Again, two things that I think that we take away from this passage of Scripture. That God is sovereign and is to be feared. Proverbs says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And the second truth is that he is a holy God to be worshipped. My prayer is, beloved, that you and I, you and I would take time to look, to see, and to study. Notice the word behold is in there twice. Look, see, with an exclamation point the things that are there and may the truths of the text that we just lifted up today lead us to have a proper and holy fear of God and a proper attitude of worship. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father thank you thank you for Loving us. Thank you for giving us your word. And. Catching a glimpse. Seeing your sovereign power. See you. Seated on the throne. From which your wrath will be poured out on all the earth. John will. Witness and observe. Observe. These things, primarily, mostly from heaven. And the people on earth will be oblivious to the things that are taking place in heaven as they endure the wrath of God. At least initially. Father, I pray that like John, our response would be one of reverence and awe and fear. May we glimpse your omnipotence, your power. And Father, may we respond in worship and praise to your holy name. Thank you for this glimpse into heaven. We trust you with our very being and our soul, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Father, lead, guide, and direct us. And Father, I think it's important as well, even as we have been here worshiping, we have heard the sirens and we see the things that are taking place across the way. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would minister mightily in that situation whatever the calamity is that's there, would you fill those people with your peace and your comfort and your presence where needed? And Father, minister to those who've had to be taken away by ambulance. Father, we even in that are thankful that we are here and able to worship you today and we're thankful that we are here to intercede on behalf of them. We love you. And we love them. And we pray for them in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Amen. I do hope you have a great week this week and reflect on these two truths. We will be gathered again on...